My guest today is Sammy Rubin, co-founder and CEO of ULife, the fastest and one of the most exciting insurtechs in the UK. Sammy describes ULife as the world's first lifestyle insurance company, which brings together life insurance, well-being, and rewards in one simple app. Last summer, ULife raised $70 million in one of the largest Series B raised by an insurtech startup in Europe. The round was led by Target Global and also included Eurasio, Latitude, and previous backers, Creandum, Notion Capital, and others. In this episode, I sat down with Sammy to talk about his journey to founding ULife and his strategy for building a different type of company. Welcome, Sammy. It's a pleasure to be here, Anita. So, Sammy, I wanted to start off by asking you about your journey to founding ULife. I know that you went through a lot of different paths to where you are today. And I think it would be very interesting for the audience to hear a little bit about your journey. Wow. First of all, I just want to thank you. It's great to be on this podcast and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so I'll talk about my journey. I grew up in London and I went to university. I was studying computer science at Imperial College. And really, my first venture was with my late father. My late father had never worked in insurance before and he had retired. But at the age of 63, he came up with this innovative idea of trading insurance policies. And I built the code for this new startup in my final year of university. And when I graduated, I joined him and we built this business from scratch from our dining room table. And we're very fortunate that he's really stumbled on. He's come up with this great idea and we built this together. And within five years, we IPO'd it on the London Stock Exchange. Um, it was really wow. exciting journey in, in my 20s to, to go through that very fast growth. It was a very exciting time for me. And I, at the time, I was the youngest um, CEO of a financially listed public company. But at the same time, after running that business, maybe after six, seven years, I realized that I had built the business, but at the expense of, in a way, my own well-being, that I felt burnt out physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I realized I needed to make a change. I took a sabbatical, took a six-month sabbatical. I brought somebody in to help running the business. And I went traveling. I spent time in America, spent time in Israel. I learned meditation. I learned yoga. I changed my diet. I, I realized how small changes in my lifestyle could make enormous impact on my overall well-being. And I reconnected to myself and what was important to myself. And I met my wife as well along that way. She was working at a wellness center in Arizona. And we eventually got married two years later and moved to Israel, sold that first business. And then when I went back to the UK, I was determined to bring together those passions, that, that passion I still had for financial services and insurance, but also my passion for well-being and wellness. And I was approached by an insurance company called Discovery, they're in South Africa, one of the largest insurance companies, and they were looking to build um, a new venture in London, which is Vitality. And I became the founding CEO of what was at the time Pruprotect, which is now known as Vitality Life. It was the very first life insurance company to reward healthy behavior. That was a really exciting opportunity for me to marry both of those passions together. And right. Vitality is now one of the largest life insurance companies in the UK. They're also around the world in about over 30 different countries. But my passion was always to build a tech-driven insurance company 
one that would inspire life, not just physical health, but inspire mental and physical and financial well-being, and all using technology and using technology for good and to build a new type of business. And that was really my idea around six years ago to build you life, the idea of you life, helping you be your best you and to really build a new type of insure tech. And it's been a fantastic journey since that day. And I'm really proud of the steps that we've taken and the team that we've built and the culture and the impact that we're having around the world. It's really interesting. So your very first startup, you seem to have got success, but at the cost of your health. Then you went Mm. on to the second venture with the South African Vitality. Is that where this idea of infusing technology and well-being together came? Why couldn't you do what you're doing at ULife within the Vitality family? Mm. Like, why did you feel like you needed to set it as a separate thing? Vitality is not a technology company. Um, So certainly... I was very inspired by my journey with Vitality to combine together insurance and wellness. Because in a way, insurance has always been seen before as something that you do when something goes wrong, you claim from your insurance company. And Vitality was one of the first companies to say an insurance company can be more than just about paying a claim. They can inspire you to live a healthier life as well. It can reward you for healthy behavior. Vitality life was very much focused on individual journeys and also very much on physical well-being. So at the time we did the partnership with Virgin Active, with one of the leading gyms, to give free gym if somebody would sign up for our life insurance. And at the same time, I was an employee. I was brought in to do a job at Vitality. Mm. But my dream, as I said, was always to really use technology and to build a tech-first company, one that was really used technology for good, and also inspire not just physical well-being, but mental mm-hmm. well-being as well and financial well-being. And to bring all those together into a new type of business, not just aimed at individuals, but one which I saw there was a real pressing need is to focus on organizations, mm. focus on businesses, because Businesses is where we spend so much of our time during our working life. Right. And there's a crisis generally in the world, as we know, of well-being. And I believe that business leaders and CEOs, executives and companies, heads of HR can do so much to help their employees live healthier lives. Mm-hmm. And you life is exactly that. They cover all of their staff with insurance. So if something goes wrong, all their employees are covered. But at the same time, we provide them with the ULife app, which through the gamification and through the universe and the different levels of our game, through the very simple daily challenges like five-minute walking, a 10-minute meditation, cycling, you can earn Ucoin, which is our currency of well-being, and exchange that Ucoin for rewards like Amazon vouchers or for giving charity, for social goods. And through that, we create a culture of well-being within an organization and that's something that really inspires us and motivates us every day i mean there's just so much that i want to ask here but let me go back to your beginning because i know that you're one of um, several co-founders so you had this idea or this vision of combining tech insurance as a product and also uh, infusing it with well-being what was your next step First of all, I I knew that I needed to do it with great people. And that's when I went out to seek my co-founders. 
And I was really fortunate to meet, first of all, Sam Fromson, who's my co-founder and COO, Chief Operating Officer. We met at a charity event, and just by chance, and Sam got chatting, and he was very forward, actually, and we got chatting, and he said, can I, um, would you be open to, to having breakfast with me? And be really fascinated to find out more about your life. And we met that following Friday for breakfast. And immediately I could see we hit it off. And immediately, I think the following Monday, Sam was looking for a new gig at the time. He had experience working in another fintech, but he was looking for a new challenge. And we really hit it off. And, and our skills are very complementary. And that was really when we started writing the business plan once Sam joined. And we then went out to, to raise some money. It was before we built the product, but we went yeah. out to talk to an investor around backing us. And he looked at us and he said, great, you've got a great vision, great idea, great business plan, but you're lacking a tech co-founder. Right. Neither of you is a real techie. You need yeah. a real tech person in your team. And, and Sam reached out on Facebook that day, actually, amongst his network, and he says, do, do, do I know anyone in my network who can recommend a great tech guy to, to join? And he was introduced to Josh Hart. And we met Josh the next day for breakfast and the breakfast turned into lunch, turned into tea. And we realized we had a really strong team wow. together. And, and that was fantastic. Were you looking for something specific when you were looking for the tech founder? Did you have a spec or was it just, again, we need to be able to get along? How did you determine what kind of a CTO or tech founder yeah. you needed? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I knew the most important thing for me and any founder was that we wanted to build a company that does good in the world, just a good company that's making a difference in the world, that has a bigger purpose than just, making money is obviously great, but it has a deeper purpose than just making money that really is, has a mission to make a difference, to do something different in the world. So I was looking for founders that kind of resonated mm. with that big vision. I think that was the most important thing. Josh has a whole variety of skills. He's a very unusual tech co-founder, CTO, in that he combines his technical experience, of which he has amazing experience, but also he's very commercial. Mm. So he has a really commercial nous about him. Mm. And he has a, a deep experience through his own experience. He left school very early at a young age, I think at 16, and forged his own way and built his own yeah. ventures and business experience at a young age. And then combine that with his tech experience and this vision of making a difference. Plus, he really makes me laugh as well. And, he <laughs> continues to do. and, and when you're building and you're spending time with people, you want to spend time around people that one likes, one enjoys, one can laugh. And he certainly does that. And and together with Sam as well, who really compliments me, we have a very you know, similar aligned vision of, of what's important in the world and what we want to build. And it just felt a perfect founding team to really get on. A, and, and we raised um, a seed round based on the three of us. Wow. What did you do yeah. with the seed money? What were the first few priorities? Obviously building the product, uh, an MVP exactly. of the product. Exactly. And that's really what we did. We built an MVP okay. of the product. We found a great co-working space in Camden Town, which we loved. And that was a great experience starting out our journey in Camden Town. And we, we built the product. We, we hired some great people. We brought in another of our co-founders, Jonathan Rumer, who was an ex-actuary from South Africa. Also Quirky, who was working at KPMG on their tech startup unit and was advising me, was advising tech companies about the best way to start their business and, and their various business advice. And I, when I met him, I thought, wow, you're a U-lifer. 
you need to join you life it took him about six months to realize that and eventually he walked in one day he says that's it uh, i'm joining you guys and and, and jonathan joins along during that time period which were, which was great and also uh, our other co-founder emmy yaku Oosthausen, who um also amazing experience he was the ceo of multiply in south africa is one of the competitors to discovery running a rewards program in an insurance company and he was actually a partner at the seeds one of the founding one of our seed backers anthemus and when we pitched to them and that they gave the money but he called me i think just that day he says man I, i've got to join your company i've been looking for an opportunity in a way of an insurance company that's doing this that's mixing rewards and technology and it's exactly what i've been looking for and i've been sitting as this you know a venture capital partner but i've really been looking for a venture like this every story of our team there was always sort of serendipity yeah and there was just a chemistry and and everything is just fell into place and a very strong belief in what you were trying to do looks like you didn't seem to yes. have to really convince the other people that there was an opportunity here yes i think that the, the need was so clear yeah. that there was a well-being crisis yeah and this was obviously pre-covid you know but 6 years ago it was clear that there was an epidemic of stress in the workplace mental health was becoming more and more of an issue to be able to channel and to use and to harness the best apps out there and the best of technology to build right. something that employees could really use to help them live a healthier life it, the the case was compelling and so also disrupt a huge industry like insurance which obviously is a trillion dollar industry for hundreds of years which hasn't seen much disruption over the years to actually bring all of those together into one thing i think is compelling and fortunately we came together as a team we got to about 20 people we built an mvp josh as i was saying brought quite a few of his friends and colleagues that he's worked with in previous ventures to help him build the tech as i was saying we brought in more co-founders and we got we built up it wasn't a great product in in terms of the insurance i think that we tried to innovate too quickly too fast yeah. and from the insurance perspective it wasn't great however the app the gamification the well-being app that we've created really worked we brought it into organizations and we were astounded by the results so this happened in 2016 well before the pandemic made mental health issues so much of a big deal for every employee for every company for every family when you walked in with your you life what was the reception that you got how were you able to change the conversation in great the companies question. It's a great question. First of all, around 70% of companies over 250 people have life insurance in place for their staff. So it's already there. However, if you ask your average employee who's your insurer with, even if you ask the head of HR who's your insurance with, they often just don't know. Exactly. Because it exactly because it's just a tick box, it's a commodity, it pays out when things go wrong. and therefore it doesn't really bring value but yet they're paying good money for that and yeah. often the head of hr is not really getting the credit the kudos from their people because they've put in place such an important benefit and then we go in and we say okay you're already paying for that however we will introduce you life and you're going to pay 10 maybe 20% more than your current insurance however in addition to the insurance in addition to that you're also going to get a virtual gp your employees can access a doctor 
within four hours, you know, 24 seven. They've got access to an EAP, an employment assistance program. So there's counseling in place. And in addition to that, you can earn Ucoin for just walking, for doing really simple activities, walking, five minute meditation. You can exchange the Ucoin for rewards, ASOS, Amazon, and Air Miles at the time was very popular. And you're just paying that much more. You're bringing well-being, you're bringing the tools to your workforce that would help your employees lead a healthier life, which ultimately will help with retention, ultimately will increase productivity. It's an absolute win-win. And we found that companies started to engage. It was hustle at the beginning. We had to go out. Yeah. And uh, we had to go out and sell hard. Were your initial customers all people from your network? Because a lot of you were from insurance. Who did you decide were your early adopters? What was your strategy for getting your first few customers? Absolutely. It was absolutely from our network, our different connections, picking up the phone, talking to people that we already knew. And then as we were recruiting more and more people, then bringing in their colleagues. The biggest breakthrough, I would say, is just before our next round of finance, was that one of our employees had a great connection with Mintel. And they had around, I think, four or 500 people working in their offices. And they just loved the app. And they brought the app in. And in fact, I remember talking to the head of HR, and she was saying that it helped her with her insomnia, that for the first time, she was encouraged to use the sleep meditation, night for the sleep stories. We had a partnership with Calm, the meditation app, and she was using those sleep stories. And she found her sleep dramatically improved and it changed the whole quality of life. And she was saying how people aren't using the elevators anymore, they're using the stairs, people are walking more. And we've got this whole culture of health and well-being in the business through the ULife experience. And that was our first real corporate, large corporate client at the time which then helped us when we were raising our Series A 18 months later, they were looking at those clients and they saw the reaction that the companies were having to the ULife experience, which was amazing. So when you sell B2B, there's always this element of ROI. Okay, I have to pay 20% more for your service versus whatever insurance I have. And it has all these benefits, but how are you able to show the return on the investment? Well, it's really, it comes through the stats and it comes through the data and we're collecting so much data. Because when we looked at the engagement metrics from our app, you were seeing that the daily active users were around over monthly active users were over 40%. Those types of stats, those high amounts of daily active users were comparing to some of our most loved apps out there already on our phones. And ULife was comparing with those. And companies at the time looking for ways to use technology, to harness technology, to harness the apps, to bring more bonding social cohesion amongst their staff. So we have healthy competition, which are opt-in, that employees can compete with one another on leaderboards. They can duel one another who can walk more on a particular day. And that social cohesion compared with the data, with the metrics that we were bringing, and also coupled with the fact that they're already making this data, that they've already a budget, they're spending money on your vanilla insurance. So it makes it a little bit of a no-brainer for companies. And, and then we obviously had big breakthroughs with some of the large, really large corporates, thousands of, of employees taking on ULife. And, and then a lot of it is then looking at the competition and saying, well, 
this company has you life. I, I can't not give this to my employees. So it has a, a roll on effect. Were there any learnings you had? Because maybe there were cases where you sold to a company where the head of HR says, yep, this makes a lot of sense. Instead of just plain vanilla insurance, I get vin- insurance plus all these wonderful benefits. But then what if the employees are not really using it? Because if people didn't use it, then was there yes. worry that person will not renew? Because yes. it is 20% more, but it is Absolutely. 20% more. Well, the, the, the great thing renew, the challenge was to really get into a company and to convince them to yes. actually take on new life as opposed to another insurer. But the great thing is that once they're in, then every single case, thank God, over the last three, four years now, we've had 0% of unavoidable churn, which mm. is unheard of. Like once wow. a company experiences the new life experience, once they take it on and the employees are engaging, they're having fun, they're, they're, they're gaining so much, they're not leaving. And the stats are clear in terms of the engagements, in terms of the joy. If you look at our trust pilot reviews, I think we're at 4.8, 4.9 now, um, score of on our trust pilot. And so you can seek the level of, of joy in a way that we're engendering within an organization. Getting into a company, yeah, at the beginning it was hustle. One of the big game changer was when I brought on Keith Bale. Keith is our head of distribution. And Keith brings with him 20 years of leadership experience at Unum and brings with him fantastic relationships within the broker community. And Keith, through his leadership and and bringing a team of people around him, has been transformational, really, in terms of elevating our whole sales, the wholesale strategy and our numbers. It's shifted from being quite a hustle and spontaneous and the co-founders doing their best to bring themselves to really professional leadership. And so Keith and, and Lauren as well, Lauren who came from LifeWorks as our VP of marketing as well, the two of them were real game changers in bringing professional sales and marketing into this industry. And that was a huge game changer. I really want to ask about that because this is the part that all entrepreneurs find so difficult, right? Going from founder-led sale to more professional, systematic, repeatable sales, and then using marketing as a real leverage to accelerate lead generation and pipeline. So tell me a little bit about what is it that, let's say the marketing person did that really changed the way you were going to market? Lauren's fantastic. So much deep experience um, working at Reuters, working at LifeWorks. One of the things that she brought was this concept of, she calls it smarketing. And where the sales and marketing are working really closely together. It's like one, they're separate teams, but they're working so much together and they understand one another and they're really embedded. They're really aligned. They're talking to one another. When I talked to our head of sales, he said that he's never worked in in a business where the marketing and the sales are so deeply connected. And I think we brought in growth marketing specialists, rev ops, and the marketing is more than, obviously, we spent a lot of time in building our brand and spending time around our brand and our brand values. And maybe we can talk about that because that's something really important to what New Life is doing. But around the growth marketing, there, there is a science to this. Mm-hmm. And it's around finding the right people and employing the right strategies. And what about the sales? What is it the salesperson did again 
to really systemize how they are doing pipeline? Constantly reviewing conversations. We've actually just brought in an amazing technology called Gong, which is a fantastic tool where you can record your yep. sales conversations. And it actually gives, using AI, it actually gives feedback where you can improve, how we can listen better within conversations. And therefore, that self-improvement of how one is effective within those meetings, I think, again, is something that from the very start, Keith has embedded within the team. Constantly learning, constantly growing, learning from one another. The, the other big innovation, I think, that, the, that we've brought at ULife, we call it the Ali Oop, in that we've got a direct team and a broker team and the direct sales team. They've come from, from different backgrounds, but they're opening up doors directly with heads of HR. They're putting on seminars, they're going to events, and they're really um, engaging with those decision makers, heads of HR around well-being and the big strategy, and often really encouraging them and engaging their curiosity around, hey, we can bring this new type of technology into an organization and increase well-being coupled with insurance. And they then, together with the broker distribution team and the broker distribution team, they're dealing with, we've got great relationships with all the leading brokers, Aon, Willis, Mercer, Lockton, all the different broker companies, the broker distributors. And together, in that this combination of working together with a broker, but then also working separately with a direct team, that synergy, that chemistry, coming at it from different angles is really effective because when the broker is maybe talking to a company, they say, oh yeah, I've already come across you life from a mm -hmm. seminar or we've already spoken or we go directly to, to a head of HR and then they speak to their broker and their broker may be actually saying, I think you should go for the traditional insurance. And they said, no, no, we've come across you life and we really wanna, we're happy to pay a bit more and go this way. And that's kind of tension. It's a bit of a tension, but it's a, between these two teams coming together from different mindsets and different approaches has been a, a great combination. I love that. I, I love the way you're looking at demand and you're making sure that you are there wherever conversations about insurance and well-being are happening on, on whether it's the HR side or the broker side. And I think this is a good segue into something else you mentioned, which I wanted to talk about, which is branding. And first, mm. I want to talk about the external branding. You have end users who need to love your app and use your app. <laughs> and then you have the people that you're actually selling to. How do you go about doing that branding in a way that's clear, not confusing, and also the most optimal use of your funds? So this is something I'm very passionate about. It's the branding, because it really is our personality. And we wanted, when we started New Life is to communicate a really unique personality. And when you're looking at the insurance world, one thing that strikes me is it's, it's very black and white. Like when you go to a claim, it's either yes or no, and it's win, lose. And wanted to bring something, for me it was very important to bring something colorful, something with color. And that was something that was really something vibrant, something rich, something memorable. So that was one value that was really important. Secondly, Yugi. Yugi is our giraffe. And I really believe it's really great to have a symbol, a mascot, a sort of something that people remember you by. 
And from the very beginning at Ulife, we chose Yugi, our giraffe. The giraffe has the largest heart of any land animal. And we feel that we have a big heart. We come from a place of love. And we wanted to make, we decided to make the giraffe and Yugi center stage within our branding. And everything we do, the giraffe is speaking often and it's got a personality and it appears within the app as well that it's like your guides, your mentors, you people go through the levels of the game. Yugi the giraffe is always there. I loved it. And I was going to say, is that something that came from you, the founders? Did you get a branding agency and tell them what you wanted? How did you come up with that? It was actually through one of our partners, interestingly enough, one of our insurance partners who we were building a partnership with. and, And they actually had the idea that they gave the idea really for the giraffe. And they said that they were not using this idea, but we were working in partnership and they were very happy. But the minute I saw it, I I loved it. And I think we've taken it now and we've built a whole personality and a life around the concept. But the concept, I have to say, wasn't mine. It was something that I saw and I learned and I was gifted in a way. And therefore, I think that's part of the journey, entrepreneurial journey, just generally for everyone. It's, It's just to be open to the gifts that are always around and to, and to be able to receive those gifts for, from surprising places as well, because often the greatest gifts can come from surprising places. I don't know if you did this deliberately, Sammy, but it sounds to me like when you were thinking about the brand for your company, you were thinking about the end users as your customer and what would they like and enjoy and feel good about using. And you knew that if you could get that right, then the business model and convincing the HR head and whoever pays the bills would probably become easier. Would that be a right assessment? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Our, our kind of DNA from the start was always oriented towards consumers. And we always wanted to really reach that end consumer and give them a fantastic, joyous experience. So Josh, my co-founder, always talks about really building products that exude joy, that bring an experience of joy to the end user. And that's what we're, gonna, that's what we're trying to create. And initially we thought maybe we'll even build a D2C business and go direct to the consumer. And when we raised money, we were persuaded, I think rightly so, that the real opportunity is in the B2B area. And then we kind of oriented, quickly pivoted towards a business proposition but yes you're right and I think it works for us this consumer in a way our DNA of always looking what's going to create that experience ultimately and and that's what HRs want their people to have that experience of joy so I think it, it works well. You talked about pivoting a lot of founders may find themselves in this place where they start off thinking consumer proposition, because it's so easy to identify with that proposition, you being a consumer yourself and your need, and you're building this company, this product and this strategy around that. And then you realize that from a business and especially a VC fundable model, the B2B works better. How do you make that switch? Fortunately for us, it was very early on. It was in the planning stages, I would say it was when we were raising our seed amount, the, the initial instinct, the orientation was to go to direct to consumer. Fortunately, the app that we were building worked well. So we put in time and we spent a lot of energy 
focusing on what type of app, what our, who our reward partners will be, what's the type of experience that we wanted to create in the app. And that really, even though we were aiming at the time for the end consumers, that works well for um, businesses. We were convinced raising our seed that from a distribution perspective and a market entry perspective, it's very expensive to build a D2C brand. You need a lot of bucks to go D2C. Yeah. And whilst there's a real gaping hole in the B2B market, there was a lack of innovation. There's a real need for what we're building in the B2B. And so for us, the, the pivot made absolute sense. Fortunately, the technology we were building in the app, we were able to just integrate that into this whole B2B model. And we haven't really looked back. Saying that at the same time, though, um, eventually we are engaging with those end employees and we're starting to deliver individual insurance products. So in the end, we are actually reaching and engaging with those employees because they're able to buy products through us directly. So that D2C energy has kind of made it back in the way in the long term. But yes, pivoting is, is a natural, is a natural yeah. um Ingredient, it's a natural part of every startup. And I think entrepreneurs have to be open to hopefully the pivot isn't a huge 180 degree pivot. It's maybe an expansion, a change. One has to be constantly open and looking at the market and assessing the needs and listening to the mood. One can get quite caught up in the science and, and get caught up in, in a particular path and get quite committed to it and passionate yeah. and one has to listen to the mood music behind what's going on and, and have been listening the whole time and being open to, to pivoting and changing and evolving the proposition in a way that's going to really um, engage. I love it. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about the internal culture or branding. I know that's another thing that you're very passionate about, Sammy, and I would love to hear, how do you think about the culture you want to build at Life, and how have you gone about making that a reality what are some practical strategies on setting wow. about your culture uh, yeah culture is huge to us it's just so important we're passionate about what we're building we want to make a difference in the world but at the same time we can only do that if our people are really living and walking that talk we can't be a force for good in the world or, or make a difference or bring well-being unless we as a business are modeling that talk. So we knew that's so important. And, and I think first of all, it does start with the leadership in that it's very easy to talk about values and culture. It's much harder to, to walk it and to live it. And I think ultimately, as we know as parents, or I, I know through my own parenting, that our kids don't listen to what we say, they look at what we do. So true. <laughs> They, they, they wear role models all the time for how to be. And therefore, the way we behave, if I behave, talk respectfully to my co-founders, if we're coming from a place of love and respect and we're, we're, we're integrating well-being into our own personal lives, for example, in terms of our culture, that's something that will, if it's seen, it's witnessed, it's observed, that is the most important thing, I think, about building a culture is to walk the talk and to model that. After about 18 months, two years of running the company, we decided we would formulate the values, like really encapsulate. And we sat down in a room and we looked at how are we really building this business? What are those values? And, and we picked out, inspired by Yugi Giraffe, that the slogan of love being you. 
um, as our overarching slogan. And, and we have three values under love, three values under being, three values under you. I'll give you some examples of the values that we have. Love is like to give more than you take. A lot of companies look to take. We look at how can we give more than we take or think win-win, create really win-win relationships. Under being, we have, for example, being just through one's breath and through the mindfulness, just to be present rather than getting caught up in our mind. Being vulnerable, but not easy. Vulnerability is sometimes seen as a weakness, but it's actually a superpower to be vulnerable. I can't do this. I don't have all the answers or I'm not having a great day to create a culture where we can feel safe to be vulnerable. And love being you, the you is to actualize your potential, to give, create a space where everyone can be their best selves. And, and ultimately, our final value is to build the world that you want to live in. Now let's together build a world that we want to live in. And what I do every Monday morning, we have 9.30 throughout, and we have a remote team now in different countries. 9.30, whatever happens, I kick off the Monday morning for 15 minutes. And we don't really talk about their business goals or KPIs. I talk about the values of the business. I remind all of us, including myself, why are we doing what we're doing? What is our purpose? You know, our purpose is to inspire people to live their best lives. What are our values? I'll bring a book that I've read or something that I've seen in the news or something that has inspired me from the previous week. And we'll talk about the values from every Monday morning. We'll talk about that. And that's something that we have a gong. It's become a bit of a ritual that we start off the week. We take some deep breaths. Okay, let's just be present. Let's just be in the moment. And let's remind ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? And that's something I do every Monday morning. In addition, my co-founder, Sam, leads every single Thursday at five o'clock an all-hands session. They have an all-hands for about 30 minutes. Again, the whole company joins. And we start off every all-hands with shout-outs where we have anonymous shout-outs. We've got one in a couple of hours, actually. You're welcome to, to join and to see it. People will give shout-outs saying, just gratitude, to show how can I be grateful to my, my colleagues. And we give appreciation to everybody. And everyone applauds. And we have some great gifts that we combine each shout-out with. And we create this fun, engaging experience, which is about not just from the top, from the leadership, but everyone together is giving shout outs to one another, to their colleagues of how they've helped. We then do a knowing me, knowing you session where a different person each week will share about what's important to them, their, their life, working day, their family, and also something people wouldn't know about themselves. These are examples of some of the rituals. And I think rituals are so important in creating culture. It's having rituals within the week that are carved out into the calendar of every single week that people know we do this at a particular time, and these rituals embody the values that we hold dear. I don't think I've ever heard another company or founder talk about values and vision so consistently as a ritual every week. I love it. But that brings me to two questions that I want to ask before I end the formal part of the podcast. One, do you feel that the way you're building you life and the way you're working in you life is different than your first startup? Are you able to find that balance where you're not burning out? Because at the end of the day, it is a tech startup with VCs who have put in money where you have goals and KPIs and revenue targets. So are you finding that this time it's different? Number one. And my number two question is, how do you hold people accountable? How do you do feedback and the tough okay. conversation? 
So maybe I'll take the second question first. There's a book that inspired us that we read right at the start of our journey called Radical Candor. Mm. It talks about be- being open and just saying it as it is. And I think if one's created a foundation of trust and shared values, one creates, therefore, the, the environment in which one can have a safe conversation. And I don't see the two things as being um, contradictory. I see the culture that we're building It is an open, warm, loving culture, but at the same time, as we know within every family, one has also tough conversations, you know, candid conversations. And one of our values is being vulnerable. And we seek to model that vulnerability of saying, how how am I feeling? You know, what am I feeling? A particular situation that's upsetting me. And just going in, I think the idea that we come into any conversation, we're coming from a place of love, coming from a place of vulnerability, but also a place of openness and honesty. And I think that that's something that's respected. It's not something I would say we get right all the time. We're making mistakes all the time. But we're, I think we hold these values, we hold them dear. You know, I'm seeing now we've got quite a lot of new joiners coming and they're posting on LinkedIn. Before every new joiner joins, we send them a library of at least 10 books that reflect the values that we are really embedded within our organisation. And we have these different books that represent these different values. So already when they know beforehand, they come, hey, these are, there's strong science, you know, books on the science of building a startup with KPIs and all those hard metrics. And then there's much softer books about soft skills. But I believe the companies that are the most successful are the ones that can combine hard and soft skills together. And then the first part of the question, it's, so true it's a different experience this time around from my first one my first startup was sort of success at at any cost and I drove myself to a point where you know I I was young and I was ambitious and that ambition hasn't in any way stopped however I've also realized that I'm part of a bigger bigger universe I have a family I believe in life well-being And I believe that one can build a really successful company. And yes, there's lots going on. But if one hires the right types of people and has the right leadership team, the right people in the organization, and one has a really clear vision and a strong culture, then I believe that one, the the life I'm living now, I feel um, really fulfilled. I feel happy. I'm, I'm working harder than ever but in a way that at the same time, I don't feel my well-being is, is compromised. I just feel, I feel joy. I feel very proud of what we're building. I'm really excited about the, the next steps in our journey. Wonderful, Sammy. So this brings us to the end of our formal part of the podcast, but I have a few other questions. And it always starts with, what's the book that made the biggest impact on you? I keep coming back to this book that I read in my 20s called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen, Stephen Covey. Yeah. And, and, and I just love it because it's so deep. And he talks about spirituality and leadership. He talks about meaning of life. He quotes people like Viktor Frankl, who's also one of my favorite authors, author of The Search for Meaning. And he shows how one can build a business which is really true and aligned to real values. And those habits, it's on my bookshelf and I keep coming back to it over the last 30 years keep coming back to to that book so it has a special place in my heart lovely what is a productivity tip or hack or tool that you use that keeps you productive wow 
productivity hack, I would say, first of all, I make sure that I don't have back-to-back meetings throughout the whole day. I make sure that I leave space in my diary every time for creative space, for unexpected conversations, for thinking, and therefore I'm most productive when my diary, there's a good amount there, but not too much. And that for me is having a a fantastic assistant that I have in Abby. She helps make sure that my diary just has that right balance. That's amazing. How do you do that? Isn't everybody trying to get some decision or something out of you? Or do you feel like you've hired enough of strong people that it's not all on you and you've created a culture where it's more decentralized, I assume? Yeah, we have a very shared model of leadership. I have a fantastic senior leadership team and we work really closely together. And I feel decisions are often made, yeah, with other people in collaboration, but also having the space to be able to really reflect and to talk and to have proper conversations. And one needs time to be able to get that big picture because it's so easy to get caught up in in a small picture, you know, and, and running from one meeting to the next. But the best decisions, I think, are made about retaining both. You've got to retain the, the down-to-earth in the moment, but also holding on to that large picture. And that, and that makes time and space to reflect and to um, make sure that holding on to the values and the general direction of the company is paramount. Lovely. What about your favorite city in Europe? Wow, there's, there's, there's so many. I just remember, for some reason, Prague keeps coming up as you're talking, you're asking me that. I've just had some wonderful experiences in Prague. Just the architecture, mm. the energy there. And I just remember the, the old city and there's legends. I, I, I come from, I'm Jewish, and there's a rich Jewish community that was in Prague. And I just remember it now as I'm thinking about it. I just, it evokes really wonderful memories for me. I, I recommend everyone to visit. Lovely. And then my last question is a favorite quote that you have. It could be your quote or it could be a quote that you, that someone else said, but you like, and you say it often to yourself, Um, to your kids, to your employees. You know, Viktor Frankl, he was a survivor of Auschwitz. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he talks about the search for meaning that each of us, never mind the circumstances of our life, can choose our attitude to life and can really embark on a search for more meaning. And and the quote that he says, and I may not get it exactly right, he talks about the last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And I think it's so important to me, that quote, because life is buffeting us. There's so many things going on in our lives. we always, each of us as individuals, have the choice, have the ability to choose our attitude as to how to respond to any given circumstance. And, and that's something that's always inspired me, that we have a space, that we have responsibility to choose how to react to any particular situation. And um, that's something that's, that keeps inspiring me. I love it. I love it. And, and uh, yeah, I think I've heard something similar in another way. In an Indian mythology or, or principles of way we live, they talk about how the biggest place that you can conquer is actually your heart. If you can conquer your heart and mind, like you are 
much more ahead of yes. the kings that conquer lands and kingdoms. I've also heard that the longest journey often is from the head to the heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, if we can really combine the head and the heart together, that is ultimate. I think that, that is success in life. Absolutely. And I think, Sammy, you are doing something like that at Life. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. I think for me, the biggest takeaway is the inspiration that I feel when I listen to a founder that has been able to bring that heart and mind together. Like you're doing something you're really passionate about that you feel can really improve lives, but you're also creating a tech startup that's growing fast and it's going to hopefully achieve very high levels of success. And it's amazing to see that both of these are not mutually exclusive. And I hope that this conversation has inspired more founders to be authentic to themselves. So thank you.